we need to talk about the rule of law. A podcast by Verfassungsblock and Deutscher Anwaltsverein. We need to talk about attorneys. You need them at your side when the government decides to go after you, and this is what makes them a target for authoritarian repression themselves. In Turkey, defending opponents of the government in court is a high-risk occupation, as a large number of incarcerated lawyers testifies, and we have to talk about that. On the other hand, lawyers appear to be at the core of some of the worst scandals which are corroding the rule of law right now, most prominently the Cum-Ex scandal, a tax evasion or maybe even downright fraud scheme of staggering dimensions in Germany. So we will have to talk about that too, I guess. We have four distinguished guests this week in our sixth episode of the Rule of Law podcast. We are doing together with, speaking of lawyers, the German Bar Association, DAV. Margarete von Galen is a criminal defense lawyer and a member of the State Constitutional Court of Berlin and the vice president of the European Lawyers Association, CCBE. And then there's Mikolai Piechak, an advocate from Warsaw, former chairman of the Human Rights Committee of the National Bar Council of Poland, and now the chairman of the Warsaw Bar Council. I will also talk to Jeremy McBride, an attorney from Strasbourg and one of Europe's most experienced human rights litigators. And I will talk to Joskun Jorulmas, a Turkish lawyer currently in exile in London. My name is Max Steinmeis. I'm the editor of Verfassungsblog. Hello, everyone, and a very warm welcome to all of you. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Hello. First, um, let's talk about the country with maybe the most alarming state of affairs with respect to advocates in Europe, which is Turkey. Mr. Yorimas, what is the situation on the ground there? Well, I would uh, I would describe it as um, terrible, really. Um, in, in one word, but uh, you know the problem which affects lawyers is many folds in Turkey. I mean, there are there are problems, human rights issues, which um, affect everybody in Turkey, including the lawyers, and there are there are problems that affect the lawyers who are trying to do, uh, do their duty on the ground, and uh, of course there are problems of uh, the the legal profession as a whole in Turkey, and uh, in my opinion, the biggest biggest problem which affects lawyers is the uh, anti-terror laws in Turkey and um, they're very broad and uh, uh, very vague which means um, any lawyer uh, could end up in jail on um, on trumped up charges and or on uh, very flimsy evidence um, and they do in large numbers don't they yes I mean uh, thousands of lawyers have so so far been uh, prosecuted uh, in Turkey uh, for terrorism-related charges, and um, many of our fellow lawyers they they are in uh, they are behind bars as we speak. So, um, and and the other issue is the the situation of uh, of the Turkish judiciary. Uh, thousands of judges and public prosecutors have been dismissed. Uh, in the wake of the uh, coup attempt back in 2016, and these judges and public prosecutors still are—they are still in, behind bars, and uh, some of them in solitary confine, confinement. And you know, which meant 
the, the very fabric of the Turkish judiciary has, has changed completely. Now, um, you know, uh, judges with uh, less than two or three years of experience make up the uh, 45% of the Turkish judiciary, which is uh, which you can say they've been uh, they've been appointed after these uh, uh, judges and public prosecutors have been dismissed, and uh, you can argue that they are uh, pro-government because uh, now the Turkish government has a great say in uh, on on the uh, high board of um, or supreme board of uh, judges and public prosecutors, and they decide who becomes a judge and public prosecutor. So the new judges and public pro- prosecutors are inevitably uh, pro-Turkish uh, government. I see. So is it still um, is it still possible at all if you find yourself in at the wrong end of a of a conflict with the government in Turkey to 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 get um, independent and uh, viable legal defense counsel? Well, the thing is, first of all, um, if you are a su- if you're a suspect, if you're a suspect of uh, terrorism related charges, you 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 will have it. You will find it very difficult. Uh, uh, to find a lawyer who would be willing to um, uh, represent you, because one of the biggest issues is lawyers. They get, uh, you know, they, they get associated with clients, and uh, they can find themselves in hot water. Um, so this is what happens. I mean, we've seen some indictments where the only evidence against a fellow lawyer was uh, his client list, really, and uh, and. There is the issue of um, you know uh, legal aid. So basically, when when you um, you know when when you when you find yourself in uh, in a police station, uh, they they decide basically who's going to represent you as a as a lawyer. And okay. most of the time, uh, they appoint junior law, junior lawyers as your counsel. And uh, you know these junior lawyers, they're always uh, almost. Um, always uh, very intimidated to act in your best interests. Mm-hmm. And is this a kind of a double state phenomenon in the sense of um, there's on the one side the political issues, which have this this sort of, 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 of problems, but on the other hand there's the ordinary uh, daily life criminal law situation where it's completely where it's still different and, and or is this actually corroding the entire system already well the thing is i mean they are very very interrelated i mean the the issue is as i told uh, as i told before it's many folds and uh, there is the uh, political element to it you know the uh, the government uh, targeting the whole uh, legal profession uh, as a whole uh, in in the form of um, um, the new perhaps the new uh, law for lawyers uh, bill, mm-hmm. which is uh, which you know which made it uh, which made certain uh, very uh, active uh, bar associations lose their strength in defending. Uh, or fight, or in their fight against torture and ill treatment in prisons and police police stations. But the, then again, this is this is a lot on a general scale. But as you said, there is the problems that you know fellow lawyers have to endure uh, on a daily basis uh, when they're always in 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 risk of their uh, communication with their clients being intercepted. 
Uh, and uh, as we've seen in the recent mass arrest of 46 junior lawyers in, in Ankara and uh, all the evidence which was presented to them uh, at the police station when they were being interrogated was their uh, telephone conversations with their clients. I mean, mm-hmm. this is one, this is another issue. And of course, um, they can't do job, their jobs properly because um, be, for some uh, criminal procedural um, matter, most of the um, most of the criminal investigations are done in secrecy. So there's there's a secrecy order for most of the terrorist terrorism related offences. And when I say terrorism related offences, I mean I told you the the Turkish uh, anti terror laws are very broad. Up to date, more than four hundred thousand people have been have been uh, prosecuted for uh, terrorism related offences, and some. 220,000 of them have been convicted. I mean, can you imagine uh, convicting more than 200,000 people as terrorists? Mm-hmm. So, yes, I mean, it, it is not easy, both from a political aspect or on a daily daily basis. Yeah, I suppose it's not. Uh, Mr. Piechak, um, the Polish government has also been under, a, has, had, has also had a lot of bad press in recent years. With respect to the rule of law, um, what about the legal profession? Um, is it under duress as well in any sense of the world? Is client-attorney privilege um, still intact in Poland? Well, as you know, over the past four or five years, we've observed an attack on the independence of the judiciary, the rule of law, the division of powers. And there has been a lot of focus on uh, access to an independent court as a mechanism guaranteeing the respect for rights and freedoms. But I think society as a whole, and in fact, uh, all of Europe has perhaps overlooked, uh, and this is also, I think, overlooked in much of the jurisprudence of the European Court of Human Rights, has overlooked the essential role that lawyers play, independent lawyers, uh, lawyers who um, are protected in terms of uh, client lawyer confidentiality. Uh, it's all fine and good to have an independent court, but if you remove uh, the advocates or, or you allow for violation of their uh, privileged communication with their clients, that um, access to an independent court becomes, in effect, an illusion. And so we have not been targeted to the degree in Poland that the courts have, but you can see the courts... Uh, now face more than a chilling effect. They face disciplinary repressions using mechanisms, legal mechanisms, which we protested against as anti-constitutional. And now we've seen over the past year an increase also in targeting lawyers. Uh, recently, we saw Roman Gertich, a very prominent lawyer who is famous for taking cases against the government, which I dare say is the role of any decent advocate. It's always to stand uh, on the side of the the weaker individual, the weaker company sometimes against the powers of the state. That's our very role. So uh, Mr. Gertich was famous for taking these cases and the cases that he ran were considered very uh, unfriendly to the government. And uh, recently he was... Uh, arrested on the steps of the court, leaving the courthouse. They didn't do it in another place. They, it was manifest. It was supposed to be a show 
to show that lawyers can be uh, arrested as well. Then his uh, office and his home were searched. Uh, we barged in as the as the um, as the uh, bar council to make sure that the client lawyer privilege is secured. But many of the documents covered by client lawyer privilege were seized by the special anti-corruption police. Oh, and wow. most notably, there was an abuse of an instrument on the part of the prosecutor who, by way of a unilateral decision, suspended an advocate, his procedural opponent, uh, in his rights to, um, to, uh, to act as an advocate. So you're seeing a situation where a prosecutor is removing a politically uh, unwelcome advocate by way of a unilateral decision from the possibility of conducting his uh, his work as a lawyer. So we've seen more and more of these kinds of repressions. I myself have uh, faced um, an attempt to, uh, to initiate disciplinary proceedings against me um, when I was defending one of the judges who protests against the unconstitutional changes to the judiciary. And um, to my astonishment, on one of the disciplinary uh, trial hearings, the uh, ministerially appointed uh, the disciplinary prosecutor in Poland, so this is somebody who's very much subject to political authority, uh, demanded that I be a subject to disciplinary measures for, for filing motions uh, before a court. Uh, so uh, uh, now that just goes to show you that it, they're, they're very focused on creating a chilling effect among lawyers. Mm -hmm. Because if they can successfully repress uh, a prominent lawyer like Roman Gertich, if they can uh, boldly file unjustified claims against me, it's sending a signal to lawyers throughout Poland that you shouldn't defend the wrong people. Be careful which cases you take. So by attacking the lawyers, it's not the lawyers that are actually being targeted. It's the entire system of procedural safety of rights and freedoms of in which lawyers play an absolutely essential role. That's why we're fighting so hard not only to protect judicial independence in Poland as the Bar Association, um, as civil society, but we're also trying to raise awareness that the independence of lawyers, client lawyer privilege, are on par with judicial independence in terms of their place in this system of uh, safeguards of mechanisms guaranteeing rights and freedoms. Okay, so Poland may not have been uh, gone as far as Turkey in that respect, but is is going down the same road. And well, when I when I hear uh, our colleagues from Western Europe congratulating Polish lawyers on their courage, I always feel it's an inadequate and grossly um, overused term in that context. When I think of our brave, brave colleagues from. Uh, from Turkey, from Belarus, yes, and from many other countries where uh, the independence of the bar has pretty much been overturned. And as a result, lawyers are bereft of any safeguards in their conducting of their professional duties. And the lawyers themselves are targeted in a much more brutal, much more direct fashion. So my hat's off to especially all the lawyers who are now repressed and met with re obstructions in Turkey and in Belarus. 
Um, speaking of Western Europe, Mr. McBride, um, um, in, 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 U in the UK, um, the government is also on the record polemicizing against quote-unquote lefty lawyers who allegedly push some sinister agenda, agenda by promoting their clients' interests in court. What is what is going on there? Is there a common trend to vilify defense attorneys and trial lawyers in these days in Europe in general? Possibly, yes. I If you'd asked me to, to take part of this a few weeks ago, I, I would have said there was no problem in the UK at all. I mean, if you look at the situation of lawyers in general over the last two decades, you have very few instances of where lawyers are put under pressure of any kind. I mean, the, the problem for lawyers is much more the question of funding uh, for, for public services. Um, but that debate has certainly changed in part, in, in, similarly in the way we, we heard about Poland, because particularly as the period of Brexit has undergone, where there have been a lot of challenges to um, the various moves that have been taken in support of that, you first had very serious attacks upon the judiciary. I mean, portrayed in the press as being traitors and, and so on. Uh, and really a failure by the um, minister who is responsible for the justice system to actually stand up and defend uh, the judiciary. So it's, that's that trend is similar to what happened in Poland, but of course it's nowhere near the same. But as far as lawyers are concerned, that there hasn't been um, great pressure until this recent outburst, which has been fairly coordinated with both the, um, the, the interior minister and the prime minister speaking, as you said, about lefty lawyers. And what, what their complaint is, is, or their allegation, is that lawyers are acting improperly because they are taking cases um, for people who are migrants, who are resisting expulsion decisions um, and various issues relating to that. And that attack is not simply an attack because it has also been followed by a physical attack uh, by an individual who clearly was prompted uh, by this uh, kind of discussion to go with a knife to a lawyer's office. Fortunately, no one was actually injured, but it clearly was a threatening situation. And so you see this kind of atmosphere being generated and there's been no attempt to row back from the statement by the prime minister or the, the, um, the interior minister. And indeed, the interior minister was warned by the intelligence services that this was not a good idea because there's quite clearly a serious situation in terms of right-wing terrorism, not just simply uh, so-called Islamic terrorism, but right-wing terrorism. And what they were concerned was the possibility that this will be incited by um, the statements of this kind. But the interior minister has continued to make those assertions. So the situation is very strong. What is good uh, has been a strong sense of solidarity on the part of lawyers, very large group of lawyers wrote only recently uh, to the prime minister demanding an apology. There have been strong speeches by former judges, um, asserting the need to protect lawyers. So at the moment, the atmosphere is one of great solidarity. But you can see there is a danger uh, if you continue down this route. Okay. Let's move to, to Germany for, for a minute, uh, Mrs. von Galen. Um, I mean, it's, it, of course, it's important to, to, to keep things apart and not to, to compare um, um, egregious cases um, um, with, with rather minor issues but yet but still um um there ha there have been 
concerns raised lately about the regulation, which obliges lawyers to notify the authorities in the event of any suspicion of money laundering at the hand of a client. So is, is this a, a reason to suspect that attorney-client privilege is in danger in Germany too in, 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 in some ways? Well, um, as you rightly said, um, it's difficult to, to raise a drum and voice when you hear from Turkey and from, from Poland and, and also from other countries like Bulgaria, where, they, where individual lawyers are threatened by the public authorities, etc. Uh, so, but I think um, I have the right to raise my voice because I think a country like Germany maybe should at least take the part um, like um, uh, providing or, or or um, exercising best practice with regard to the legal, uh, through lawyer's client privilege with regard to the respect of the rule of law and, and the special role the legal profession should play in, in this regard. And uh, there also, I think we, we can uh, observe that uh, Germany is, well, going in a direction where I would say this is not really back pra uh, best practice. Uh, well, we have actually a rest of anti-terror law, which is that if you uh, defend a client who is suspected of being member of a terrorist organization, uh, the written correspondence between the uh, client and the legal defense uh, and the defense counsel is not protected. It has to be controlled by the court. So there is still some relict from uh, former times when we had the difficulties with the, uh, well, the, the, the situation with the, um, um, uh, well, in, in the early 70s um, with some inner German um, people who thought to, to um, um, to use violence against uh, authorities. Um, but now we also have a, a draft law, uh, which um, well, it basically is uh, or, uh, has the issue of um, investigations against companies. And in this law, it is foreseen that um, all um, lawyers, clients, uh, correspondence, everything which, which is written may be seized or confiscated when it comes to a criminal proceeding against a company or against uh, someone. So if this um, written correspondence has, is, not be, is not part of a criminal defense mandate, everything can be seized. So, and, and there's obviously no, the, 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 the Ministry of Justice who drafted this law, they, they, don't, they only think this is correct. They, it's, a best, it's a good source, <laughs> this legal, this correspondence between the lawyers and their clients, and it should be uh, confiscated when it's needed to investigate a case against uh, a company, uh, uh, economic in, 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 uh, in the area of economic crime. So this is really, there are some developments where I see that um, there's not uh, the, the the this is not best best practice and and uh, it's not uh, it does not mirror um, uh, the respect um, uh, for the legal profession as it should be with regard to the rule of law. And if I may also, if I may, I just say a word regarding Europe and the European Commission. Um, I really would like to point out that it was a shock. I, I cannot uh, uh, say it differently. It was a shock for the legal profession to see that the uh, Commission uh, issues a rule of law report, which much, uh, uh, well, uh, it was presented to the press. It was an event, and etc. And the legal profession is not mentioned at all. All. 
And uh, so when I read this report, I was just thinking whether uh, the legal profession might just disappear. I mean, the, the independent uh, legal profession uh, well, begins 250 years ago, roundabout. So maybe we are in a historical situation where um, well, the, the public authorities at least think that rule of law can be exercised and can be lived without uh, independent bars and without independent lawyers. So I think, uh, if, I, I, I don't know what the, what the Commission really uh, uh, wants to say with this uh, omission of the legal profession. Um, and I don't know if they are really are aware how dangerous this is. But I think with regard to countries like Turkey, like uh, Poland, from what we heard uh, right now, um, it's really dangerous um, uh, to issue such a rule of law mm -hmm. report and um, well, f giving the impression um, to the, the European community that uh, the independent bars, independent lawyers are not an issue when it comes to the, to the rule of law. So I think this is really right. alarming. I would like to return to, to the European reaction and the, 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 the uh, ways of protecting the rule of law and the uh, legal profession in particular in a minute. Uh, but before, I, 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 just to complete the picture, um, as I mentioned before, um, um, on the other hand, there have also been scandals lately, which did also tremendous damage to the public trust in the rule of law. Uh, the Cum-Ex scandal uh, in Germany, uh, a scheme which apparently has been concocted principally by a bunch of Frankfurt lawyers who are now criminally investigated. Um, a colossal tax manipulation scheme. Um, are, are some lawyers, in fact, rather part of the problem than the solution when it comes to the rule of law too. Maybe this is something we need to talk about as well. Yeah, I, I, well, <laughs> it's always difficult to uh, or, uh, to blame the colleagues, but I, I only can say yes. It is a it is a problem. I I'm, I'm I must say I'm very as being a criminal defense lawyer and also having uh, to do with the, the Comex cases. I really must say it's a problem that um, some lawyers really bring harm <laughs> to people to other people because, as you said, there are some lawyers who are prosecuted now. But they are much more uh, well, individuals and comp and banks who are prosecuted, and this all would not have happened if the legal advice uh, some years ago would have been differently. And I really think this is a problem, and uh, I'm not sympathizing with these colleagues at all. Okay, Mr. Pietschak. Uh, yes, thank you. Um, I, I think that the flip side of having an autonomous bar association, which, as I said before, the independence of the bar serves the independence of individual lawyers, and the independence of individual lawyers is absolutely necessary for the protection of rights and freedoms. So the independent bar serves the protection of rights and freedoms, ultimately. And now saying that, there's a flip side. We, of course, as a bar association everywhere throughout the world. Our main duty is to protect lawyers against repressions. But on the other hand, that's connected with a very um, uh, high standard we must hold our lawyers to. And we must ensure that our independent disciplinary proceedings, if we don't wish to forfeit them, uh, must hold lawyers accountable uh, at a very high uh, standard. And that is a natural problem that I think all bars throughout the world deal with. 
um, we have still an independent disciplinary court system in the Polish bar, but there have been over the years many attempts by various governments to inhibit that independence. Um, and I think if we want to be legitimate in advocating that this independence of the disciplinary courts remain strong, remain robust, we need to ensure that these courts deal promptly and very effectively with lawyers who do abuse their profession and who do violate clients' trust and violate uh, the public trust in our profession. Uh, because ultimately, that hurts the citizens, it hurts those who should benefit from the protection of their rights and freedoms. Uh, as I can tell you that as the Dean of the Warsaw Bar, I have on multiple occasions had the very doubtful pleasure of signing, uh, signing decisions to execute the, uh, the uh, judgments of a disciplinary court, removing our uh, dishonest colleagues from, uh, from the Bar Association. I always do so with a heavy heart, but with absolute confidence that it's the right thing to do. Right. Um, let's let's return to to the European system of protecting uh, lawyers from authoritarian uh, crackdowns. Um, if there's if there's one thing that we've learned over the last years is that the rule of law in its entirety is is a very much a European issue, and that this is uh, not only within the European Union but also within the framework of the um, uh, European Convention of Human Rights, which includes. Turkey. Mr. Yorimas, <clears throat> Turkey being a member state of the European Convention of Human Rights, and um, there have been a number of convictions before the Strasbourg Court. Um, what about the protection of lawyers uh, under international law? Is that sufficiently strong? And if not, uh, what could be done about it or should be done about it? Well, I personally, I'm not really happy with the uh, uh with the European Court of Human Rights, because, um, um, I mean, uh, for the purposes of not, not opening up the uh, floodgates, um, you know, they have uh, gave their authority back to uh, a Turkish uh, judicial body, so to speak, uh, which made it impossible for anybody to bring their cases before the European Court of Human Rights for many, many years. And uh, I mean, this is in the words of some people from the Venice Commission, it, it delayed uh, people from reaching justice for at least 15 years. And uh, I mean, the I mean, the latest visit of the uh, the president of the court to to Turkey uh, to, yes. to meet with the president Erdogan and uh, visiting um, the mayor of a southern city uh, who has been uh, who replaced a you know uh, an elected mayor was awful. Um, when I say that, for example, some some lawyers they are public lawyers they they work for the government or public bodies. And these people have been dismissed from profession by uh, by emergency law degrees, and they couldn't bring their cases before the European Court of Human Rights, uh, just because the European Court of Human Rights thought this commission in Turkey, emergency commission, was uh, an efficient uh, uh, remedy, domestic remedy, and uh, in that way, 
I feel uh, most of the uh, victims of the uh, you know the, the persecution in Turkey they feel let down by European institutions really. But you know, having said having said that, uh, you know, the, for example, in EU, the the latest report makes uh, uh, mention of uh, of, the, of lawyers in Turkey, and I mean the Commissioner of uh, Human Rights been very very supportive of the turkish lawyers so i can't thank them enough personally really but an institution i think not only turkish lawyers but you know in general um the people who have been targeted by the turkish government feel really let down right um uh, there has been a lot of discussion over the last years about the necessity of a european convention for the lawyer profession Mrs. Van Galen, um, yeah. um, what is that about, and 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 what should this uh, convention uh, contain, and uh, uh, and and what is the the state of of of, of this debate? Well, we, we thought um, as CCBE that a convention um, well, drafted by the uh, Council of Europe would be a very good uh, thing to ensure the, the, the independence of the legal profession all in all countries of the, uh, who, who are members of the Council of Europe, and not only in the European Union, but um, beyond. And so we initiated this, and uh, fortunately, um, we um, met open doors and uh, now it is in the stage that um, uh, the Council of Europe has commissioned a feasibility study, which is obviously already uh, uh, finalized, but we don't know, uh, we haven't yet seen it. But um, so it, it's it's going on. And um, I think in the beginning of next year, there will be the next step uh, of a decision uh, to, uh, well, on, based on this feasibility study, uh, whether to uh, draft a Convention um, or not, but of course we hope uh, that this goes into the direction of drafting a convention. And I think it's it's important um, to have uh, some basic uh, principles like independence, uh, legal privilege, uh, and all these issues we're we're just uh, speaking about. Um, because also all over, uh, because also in, in Europe, in the European Union, it's, it's it's very different. For instance, Austria has um, included the legal profession in their constitution. In Germany, in Germany, it is not. So in other countries, it might be again different. So I think it, it is a very uh, important and would be a very important step to have a convention which uh, applies for all the uh, European states uh, where certain principles um, which are necessary to, to have and to live if you want to uphold the rule of law are um, fixed in, in a convention which then will be binding for all the countries. I see. Mr. McBride. Thank you. Um, well, I, I, I'm the author of the study. Um, oh, and, <laughs> so, <laughs> nice um, to meet you. <laughs> so I'm going to say I, it is uh, going to be discussed uh, next week in the um, committee, which is responsible for making the decision, the report to the, the committee ministers. I don't know what the, the outcome will be, so I can't say that. But can I go back a few steps to talk about the European Convention system, because it's important to understand how effective it is. What was said about the problem with Turkey is, is absolutely right, uh, in the sense that if you can't get past the effective remedies barrier, then it's not much use. 
much of the provisions of the convention are quite helpful for lawyers. I mean, you, if you talk about problems of physical attacks, it's very clear the convention protects you. It protects, to a certain extent, interference with work. But as we've heard already, there are problems um, with the question of client confidentiality. Um, and some people would say the case law of the court is not uh, sufficiently strong in that area. But one of the other problems is that some of the things which affect lawyers are not protectable by lawyers because they are the rights of the client and the client may not have the interest in pursuing them. So, uh, for example, in terms of access to documents, that's a right of the client, not a right of the lawyer. So there are areas where improvement is needed there. The problem, there are big problems in terms of discipline, admission to the profession. The case law has much improved in recent years because there have been some very serious abuses by some countries in terms of that process. Um, but the area which is weakest in the convention is the question of institutional guarantees, in other words, for the bar associations themselves. Uh, and this came out very strongly in relation to the recent changes which we, we heard about earlier in Turkey, because when the Venice Commission was looking at the question of what in the standards were applicable to the change in the attorney law, it was very uh, limited in terms of legal obligations to protect the independence. Uh, and there's also a lot of uncertainty about what that really means. So that's part of the background. The question of going forward, clearly a convention could add some value. Uh, There's going to be a lot of debate about this, so it's, it's not a clear-cut issue. But if you have uh, a convention, it must be more than simply what you currently have, which is the recommendation, which is a statement of principles. They're all good principles, although some could be clearer than they are. But you need something to make sure the convention is implemented. And that's a much harder thing in terms of getting states to agree to, because um, the, the European convention system, even with the difficulties we've heard about Turkey, is slow. I mean, most cases you're talking about five years. Uh, and even in the recent tragic case of the Turkish lawyer who died uh, while on hunger strike, the court there wasn't even prepared to issue interim measures. So you have a, a real difficulty in terms of dealing with the problem when it really exists. So in discussions about a convention, you need to focus not only in terms of the principles in it, but actually how you're going to realize those principles. Right. Okay, um, we're uh, getting close to, to the end of our uh, time. Um, to conclude, I would uh, ask you, all of you, a question which I'd ask you to uh, answer very briefly, which is um, um, if you imagine for a minute um, that you um, were the, uh, the defense lawyer of the main suspect of a, of a, of, of a big terror event in your country, How safe would you feel not to uh, become uh, a target of the security authorities yourself? Maybe let's start with, with you, Mr. Piechak. Well, I have, I'm in the comfortable position that um, it's not a hypothetical scenario for me. <laughs> um, uh, what I can say is that the main criticism one faces, the main form of repression is the... Um, is the attacks via the public opinion by the government-influenced media. 
there is a black PR campaign against lawyers uh, who take terrorism cases, espionage cases, or other cases which are conducive to populist uh, to populist criticism of the legal profession. Um, uh, regrettably, uh, the downside is that we have a very strong suspicion, we have reasons as a profession, and in particular the lawyers like myself, like um, other lawyers who are dealing with uh, politically sensitive, unpopular cases, we have reason to believe that we are subject to wiretapping and to unmonitored surveillance because there's a lack of adequate civil control mechanisms over the uh, counterintelligence, intelligence, and policing agencies. We've, in fact, um, filed a, a, um, an application to the European Court of Human Rights, uh, along with several colleagues from non-governmental organizations, just arguing that we have no effective means of even finding out whether we as lawyers are being wiretapped in violation of client-lawyer privilege, uh, and as a result, no effective means of verification of the legality of this wiretapping. Um, until there is robust and credible civil control over uh, policing intelligence and counterintelligence agencies, uh, lawyers will always be a prime target for surveillance, including illegal uh, surveillance, just because we have access to uh, very, very sensitive information, in particular regarding terrorism, espionage cases, or cases which are politically sensitive for other reasons. Right. <clears throat> Mr. McBride? Um, if, if it comes to the question of prosecution at the moment, I, I wouldn't be concerned. I think we have still a strong independent judiciary. But the kind of problem I was talking about where there is public pressure, which we've heard about Poland, that can easily disappear. So the question is, it's not necessarily a long-term confidence, but at the moment, I would still be confident. Right. Uh, Mrs. Van Gaal? Yes, I think I would also be uh, more or less confident that I will not be a target, I will in, in, at least in the, in the media, etc. It would be at least very unusual in, in Germany. However, I also would say I would be careful uh, what to speak on the phone. Um, so uh, I would be uh, there would be some uh, caution. Uh, I would have to be a little bit cautious um, how I deal with uh, the clients, not because I'm doing anything wrong, but I would not be totally uh, sure that everything on the on the part of the state is, is, which is done is done legally uh, but I would not fear to be a type to become a target myself officially and for, for everybody to know etc okay mr Yolmas well um, is that a hypothetical question for me? <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave it at that but you know um, as a Turkish lawyer uh, prosecution wouldn't me wouldn't be the uh, worst of my worries really um, I mean my worry would be whether I would be tortured or ill-treated in a police station or in, in prison and uh, whether I would have to uh, give my life just like my uh, colleague Ebru Tintik did in, in quest for justice or would I be um, you know uh, threatened by sexual abuse like my one of my young fellow Turkish lawyers Erdem Yildiz has been just because he was representing um, a person which you know the, the Turkish government wasn't happy with. My worry would be 
would would I lose my life when I was trying to flee Turkey through the Greek border on a dinghy boat with my family? And uh, my worry would be whether I would have my uh, assets confiscated, like many of my colleagues have, you know, have seen, and whether I would have to drive Uber after 20 years of legal profession. Um, so these these would be my worries, really. And for Turkish lawyers, this is a daily thing. You know, we are worried and we lose friends, we lose clients, even we lose family. And uh, when 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 you're when you're victimized and vilified, this is what happens to you. You you start to lose people around you, and uh, that would that is a big worry. And uh, yes, you know, like the other Turkish lawyers, I'm worried as well. Yes, this is what is happening. This is the reality. We um, in Europe, this is not just some 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 uh, neither some hypothetical scenario nor something which is taking place in some remote country. This is. This is Europe. This is the state of affairs of the rule of law in Europe. So I'm very glad we've talked about this, even if this um, um, episode ends on such a grim note, which I find completely appropriate in this, in, in this um, context. I thank you very much, all of you. And I wish you all the courage and all the strength and all the luck uh, you, you, you will need in your profession. And um, again, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts and experiences with us and uh, yeah good day to you thank, right. you, thank you thank you bye, bye. bye. bye.